You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Dancing Man, a fabulous invalid podcast featuring exclusive behind-the-scenes interviews with the cast and creative team of Bob Fosse's Dancing on Broadway. I'm Rob Russo. I'm Jamie Dumont. And we're your hosts. We're also excited to be co-producers of Dancing on Broadway and thrilled to be back in the Roseville Cocktail Room at Civilian for another conversation with a member of the company. Yes, and joining us this week is cast member Pedro Garza. Dancing marks Pedro's Broadway debut. He's performed in tours of Anastasia and Hamilton. And he's done a lot of regional work and appearances on TV. But of course, he's now an understudy principal dancer in dancing. And we're really excited to talk about that. We are. Here's our conversation with Pedro. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, gosh, okay. You've gone through rehearsals, previews, and now over six weeks of performances, which begs the question, how are you feeling? And you've had a day off, right? Yeah, we're filming this on a Tuesday. So yesterday was the uh, restful day, the uh, chores, household uh, task day. So yeah, it's the body's feeling... uh, Pretty good. I'm. I have the luxury of being an understudy. I guess luxury isn't the right word because mentally it's you know pretty tasking as Privilege, well. Privilege, maybe. Yeah, maybe there so. You go. Yeah. There you go. Challenge. Yes, but it still has demanded a new care routine from me and a new standard of upkeep for sure from any sort of previous job that I've had. And I think I admire and respect that in a way to kind of. Um, pay tribute and honor what my body needs in the moment more. And so I'm listening to it a lot more intensely. You just came from a Hamilton tour into dancing. How is that care routine changed or has it changed from that show to this show? I think it's so interesting because Andy was a Fosse dancer. Mm. And so I remember going into, um, Hamilton auditions initially thinking, this isn't for me. I don't know if this is going to be my world. And then, a lot of what Andy choreographs is out of the Fosse vocabulary. And so it feels in my body so natural and 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 just wonderful. It just feels so juicy and good to do. With Hamilton, I think it was a lot uh it has a it had some dynamics and some explosive moments, but I think physically and uh cardiovascularly, <laughs> I guess is the word. Uh, this show is kind of a bit more intense. It has less of a slow burn than Hamilton. This one's kind of right out the gate. You kind of got to be ready to go. So 
it's and it demands more from me as someone who covers multiple roles vocally as well too so it's it's kind of just raised my bar in a lot of ways and I'm very grateful for that to be honest so I think it's just kind of utilizing different skill sets um, mm. from me in new ways that I've stepped up to the challenge for. I'm wondering if we could just set the stage a little by taking a step back uh, to take a look at your childhood, your your parents, where you're from, and when you started dancing. Well, I was born in Abilene, Texas, a tiny little town in Texas. It's about two and a half hours west of Dallas. And that's where most people like know of in Texas. You yeah, know, they don't yeah. know of Abilene. And so I grew up and I had a lot of energy as a kid and my parents kind of really didn't know what to do with me. I remember throwing down a four by four piece of plywood in the garage. My parents were playing cumbia music on the like big old stereo, like the, 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 what's it called? Boombox? Boombox. Yeah. Thank you. Jeez. <laughs> they were playing it on the boombox and I just like started dancing. I must've been like five or six. Yeah. And so I was giving them a show and I would always do little concerts or performances or stage things on the, the man to like the fireplace <laughs> that became like the yeah. stage of the living room. And so they put me in a bunch of um, creative camps over the summer, just mm -hmm. different acting and imagination camps. And eventually I came around to taking a few dance classes. I never really uh, studied dance super intensely. I would take classes and I was kind of very poor at um, sticking to the routine of classes, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah. I'm a very I have um, I have mild ADHD. And I think if and it truly if a task becomes like less fun, I will like opt out. Oh, I'm the same way. And so, yeah. yeah and so my attention <laughs> is just very divided and uh -huh. scattered and, you know, I've learned to work with that. And so it wasn't until college, really, I went to Ithaca, uh, college upstate to, that I really studied intensely dance mm -hmm. and dance kind of cradled me in ways that I didn't know it could. I, it, it really saved me from falling in a lot of ways, it caught me in, a, in, in many ways in dance teachers. There's so many special dance teachers that just guided me along the way. So that was really where the journey started. Yeah. So, like so not until you were like 18 yeah, years old? Yeah, really, really intensely. I had some wonderful dance teachers throughout my early childhood, of course. Yeah, um, yeah. But the real focus, when I really kind of understood and comprehended like, oh, I think I meant to tell stories through this was around 17 or 18. Which is unique among the cast members we've spoken to because it's a little later. Right. You know, it sort of sounds like Wayne Salento's story, right? Yeah. He didn't start it, dancing until he was, you know, in his late teens. It is interesting because I did recognize that right away. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, we got to know each other, the cast, and I'm new to the company mm -hmm. um, for Broadway. To come in with my specific relationship with dance coming by way of singing and acting is so interesting. I feel, I feel like like a black sheep in a way, but like not ostracized in any way. I just think it's such a cool, different perspective. And I think it's just testament to how uh, diverse this this company of this show is because everyone has a different relationship to dance, to the stories we tell through dance, not even with just the relationship to it, but their body types and the way we look. And it's just such an amazing, diverse way of thinking, a group of thinkers and dancers and artists that is, it's, it's really cool. I feel really embraced by them all. I'm struck by a thought because this is something we talk about on this, this, this podcast a lot, which is how unique it is 
that the company of Danson is so tight, so supportive, so right. Like it's a really, it's a really unique situation I, I find. And I'm wondering if some of that stems from the fact that you all have such wildly different and varied backgrounds and relationships to dance, right? So there's no, like everybody went through this one kind of program, right? Which takes away some sort of competition in a weird way, or maybe that's not the right word. Has that been your experience? I think so. And I think competition is a safe word to use in this too, because I mean, look at the dance world now. It is a competition and dance on Broadway is becoming a competition. You know, I never, I mean, you know, we're all kids and we picture, you know, winning a Tony, we picture winning such and such award, but then, you know, and I go and do it out on the stage at my high school or out, you know, on stage at the music box and I'm out there and I'm like, not once does it like, does it run through my mind? Like I could, I, I want to dance to win this award. I want to dance to win this. And there are many institutions that are wonderful, but think can promote a sort of mindset that like I'm making art to win this award, to get mm. this achievement, to get to this ranking and to have so many diverse upbringings and relationships to dance and, uh, educations through dance and just people in different walks of life and places in their lives. We have parents, we have people, uh, who are like not even 21, you know, and <laughs> people, you know, people in their, you know, all ages and all, uh, walks of life. Like I said, I think it's so helpful to have so many different perspectives because I think that's where the familial aspect really mm. just gels and solidifies. It's because all opinions and all feelings and all emotions are valid through all of it. And we've all experienced some of that one way or another, and we can relate to each other in that way. So it goes beyond just dance. It goes, it, it's like life. And I remember, um, I think it was a Forbes interviewer who asked me, was interviewing me about the show. And I said, if you could take, cause the big dance and letters were up, you know, on the stage while they were interviewing me. And I said, if you could take those letters and switch them around, like it could say like living, because honestly, that's what everyone's doing on that stage because they're just inhabiting themselves and just betraying these moves the most authentically and honestly that they can. And that comes from the diversity mm. because we're not trying to be unison all the time, you know, in moments. Sure. But I think that's, what's beautiful. That's what's so just like, it overwhelms me with emotion because it's like, you see Corey, up there, you see Ida and they're doing the same choreography, but they're <laughs> interpreting it so differently. And that's what art should be. I was saying to Jamie the other day, you know, like I, I want to stop talking about theater in terms of awards and competition, because obviously that's a part of it. That's part of the business. Right. I get that. It's show business. It's not, you know, show something else, right? It's show business. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, it is when you're on stage, you're right. That's the last thing that's on your mind, right? Is, is the business of it, is the awards, is the competition, is whatever. What is forefront in your mind is the doing of the art, right? Mm -hmm. The activity itself. So speaking of this amazing company that was put together, what was your audition experience like? Because you did come <laughs> to the company for Broadway. You were not involved in the, the San Diego run, right? Right, right. I actually remember 
The first time I was brought in was on Halloween of last year. <laughs> um, and I was on tour with Hamilton and we happened to be, I think, in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And so we were going to go to Rochester next. And so by way of New York City, uh, you know, I was I, dro- I drove the tour. Very, <laughs> very nice. And so I stopped in to do a little uh, dance call and was cut. <laughs> um and I was pretty, at that point, um, my partner, Tony Delelio and I were already uh, together, you know, a few months. And I, that, that one, I think really, it really uh, tore me up a bit inside. I was I felt pretty distraught. And so, but then I made my peace with it. I said, you know, this isn't for me. This this isn't my show, isn't my time. And I came to terms with that. Fast forward a month and a half later, I get an email asking to sing on tape Bojangles and Crunchy Granola Sweet. Uh, and so I taped it. I was about to go on vacation to the South of France. So I taped it. And then I flew to Barcelona to grab the car, uh, to drive to the South of France. And on the plane, I submitted the tape. And then about eight or so days into my vacation, I still had a few days left. They said, can you come to New York and dance on Monday? And I said, no, I'm in France. (laughs) I said, I can't, I'm across the, I'm literally out of the country. And I also was having a really tough time reasoning with myself to go and spend hundreds of more dollars to possibly have the same thing happen again. And I didn't know if I could put myself through that. Um, My agent, you know, was saying, I think maybe you should do it. There's only a few of you that they're asking to come and see. And so cut that trip a little early, came back, flew straight to New York, did it for about four or five hours, sang and dance, and then re-met the tour of Hamilton in Cleveland. I was driving uh, to re- meet up with them. And they called and said, thank you for changing your flight. You got it. And I've only done a few of shows, but there's those moments when you're like, I feel like I've got this. And not like I nailed that, but I'm on the same wavelength as the people that are instructing me. And they can sense that. Like we sense that we are wanting to make this together. And that's what I felt in there, especially with Wayne and Corinne, both, they were both there. And so they were both like instructing and giving me all these things. And it was great. Well, dancing is special for a number of reasons. It marks your Broadway debut, but also you and your partner, Tony, are both in the show together, which (laughs) has to be special. What has it been like sharing this experience together as a couple? It's proved to be like a gift that keeps on giving. I was going to say onion, but then that's a weird image to like <laughs> feel like repealing away layers and stuff. And it just keeps saying, and onions, you know, are onions. But I think it can, it, it proves to be sort of an onion in a way. It's not a weird image at all. <laughs> I mean, I think it also is, you mentioned this a second ago, but you guys are a, a newer relationship in the sense that it's been a couple of years, correct? Yeah. Well, well, with the pandemic, right? Or were you were you together? We during? were we we've only we we've only been together for about a, like a little under a year. Little under a year. Yeah. Okay. So it is like it. It it's is fresh. like it, it is fresh. It is like an onion because you are discovering <laughs> oh, yes. all these things about who you both are yes. as individuals, how you function as a couple, mm-hmm. and now doing a show together. Oh yes. And before even you know, we were out with Hamilton. And we were very conscious of, you know, voicing what we need and voicing our concerns and our comfortabilities, especially during a rehearsal process to, you know, come to New York and to have all these things to live together. And uh, it's the communication aspect has to be so at the forefront. Uh, And we continually 
demand that of each other. Honestly, it feels like I keep saying this to people. It feels like we've created this sort of energetic orb <laughs> that we exist in, that our language exists in, that our conversation and our communication exists in. And if something else infiltrates, whether it be influenced from, you know, a parent or how we learn to talk to each other from growing up or um, how we felt that day, you know, we'll kind of We'll sense that we have a radar for that. And we're like, who's who said that? It's like he's like, oh, that's you know, I my my mom would say that to my dad, or, you know, my or I'd say, you know, I learned because my parents would talk to each other like that, or they treat each other like that sometimes, or it's things like that that we are so in tune with, uh, thankfully, that we're able to really define what Tony and Pedro's language with each other is, and what our existence is together, and how we are there to literally support and champion each other. Like, I had a. Uh, I went on for um, Manny Herrera um, and sang Bojangles. You know, I did the whole shebang on this past week for the first time. I debuted as that track. And to hear him share his, like, thoughts and opinions and just how proud he was of me just felt so incredible. I think we value each other's words so deeply. And I think... um, to be fleshing out and navigating this artistic and business world together, <laughs> you know, is, is a great blessing. Cause I think we both are holding and squeezing each other's hands. Like we literally did during the show together <laughs> also too, to be, to be doing that alongside someone who I trust in so many ways, I really couldn't ask for more. And so to be both debuting is it's such a rarity. Yeah. And I don't take that for granted. I don't for one second think that this is going to be a common thing. I, I understand it's, it's singularity in, in this moment. And I'm just eternally grateful. I want to sit in gratitude every second that I can. Yeah. Well, to, to add another layer to that onion, you, you're not only in the show together, but you cover Tony's track, right? And, you know, as we talked about with Tony, you know, he had, uh, you know, a medical emergency, mm-hmm. right, during, you know, uh, before the show started and, of course, was out the week of, right, right before it opened. Right. And so in this moment of, like, increased, uh, you know, uh, nervousness and eyes on the show and a lot of energy and everything, you had to step into the show uh, covering his track right before it opened. Right. What was that like? It was exhilarating, anxiety inducing. <laughs> I mean, cause also, you know, we, we'd been through so much. It was, you know, there was a time when I was running, I was running to the hospital after a tech day right. at, you know, 10, 30, 11 PM, staying there till two, 3 AM, going home to sleep, waking up and then going back to tech. And I was seeing Tony in the hospital and, and we're very familiar with hospitals. If you have if the theme, the running theme of our the last few months for us was hospitals. We're, we decided to close that chapter. Yeah, right. we're, we're I'm putting, I'm, You've done that. Yeah, check. yeah, 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 check. yeah, yeah. It is one of those things again that makes us feel so held and supportive of each other. It's a beautiful like waltz of sorts. So you know, it's a dance that we get to kind of uh, embody and play, but um, literally and figuratively. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. But that was and that was a very. Very intense time. Yeah. And that, that Manny performance that I got to do this past week was the first time that we got to do the show together. And so those hand squeezing moments throughout the show just <laughs> meant even more, you know, again, like, well, however long it lasts, we were there squeezing and saying, he's like, we're on Broadway. We're on Broadway. 
And yeah, so that you can't take that away. It's nice to hear that you understand the singularity of it, that you, you get that the moment is, is to be cherished. It's just one of those reassuring moments that despite whether it's in the middle of a pandemic and I don't have any work or if it's I'm on unemployment, you know, or if I'm on a Broadway stage that I'm inherently an artist and a creative and that's not because of a contract that's not because I've give, I've been given moves to do. That's not because I've been assigned something. And that's something that I have to remind myself too in moments yeah. where, you know, you question everything, you know, even in moments, even on Broadway, the imposter syndrome can be really, really loud. Yeah. Um, so to have those um, inhales and exhales to really believe that my creativity will not be defined by the walls of a, of a Broadway theater or an award ceremony or a paycheck, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think, I think that's, that's a place of liberation and a real place of honest creativity that I want to inhabit more often. This episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com. It's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I, I didn't have a lot of, you know, technique, technique, technique training. I was, I'm not, I'm not a dancer by any means, you know. <laughs> And I hope people listening can understand like what the spelling of the word, even though, like as I say it, I just think that I search for, I, my, I continually search for this level of honesty within all of my work that for me exceeds any sort of um, finesse or technique. I think for me, seeing someone who maybe doesn't have the most turns or highest leg, but tells the most interesting and honest and authentic story blows me out of the water. Mm. I've, I've seen so many performances like that. And, you know, people can nitpick and, and, you know, pull strings on everything. But then if it's moved me to a place that I can't even verbalize in the first few minutes, maybe then it's like, okay, well then I know they're doing something right. Mm. For me. There's nothing more deflating than seeing something that's technically proficient, but just has no soul yeah. or heart. Yeah. And we've all seen that, whether well, it's dancing, singing, acting, you know, in a movie, on stage, whatever. Right. Yeah. And, and that's always so, so crushing. Cause it's like, Oh gosh, you know, like you have the talent, but it's just, it's not real. It's not honest. It's not, yeah. you know, grounded or whatever mm -hmm. it is. Right? right. You know? So, yeah, uh, I think, and going back to the, you know, when I said the mild ADHD, <laughs> I think that's when, my mind switches <laughs> in watching, you know, in, in practice of it, but also in observance of it. Mm. If I understand that someone's saying something to me that 
they don't even believe. I think I almost un- involuntarily opt out of it, which is, you know, an issue that I think maybe I need to like keep working on. Like, okay, well, this conversation's not over. Somehow <laughs> I've, I've taken all I've gotten from it, but I've, I've already left. So let me try and like stay in it. Um, but yeah, I think my my brain and my heart are just naturally attracted to that vulnerability or that uh, that honesty. Mm. And so if it's not presented to me right away, then it's and it's I, I, it's harder to make that connection for sure. Speaking of practice and observance, <laughs> we've chatted with Afra and Nika about yes. their process <laughs> in terms of learning their tracks yeah. and what rehearsal was like for them and also keeping that fresh each night or each day. So now it's your turn. <laughs> Start with your process of how did you learn your tracks? How many, how many tracks do you cover? Five. Five. Okay. Mm-hmm. And who do you cover? I cover Manny, Tony. As mentioned. Yes. Nando, Jacob, and Yaman. Wow. Oh my goodness. Yes. Okay. Well, that doesn't sound easy. So <laughs> tell us, how did you do it? What did you do? How did you... How did you get into it? Yeah, I think, thankfully, a lot of the tracks are so uh, separate in their features and everything. I um, am able to d- divvy it up in my brain a little more. And like I said, if it's super interesting, if I'm drawn to it, like to 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 um, learn this, to learn Bojangles and to make it my own was an exciting task, you know, and uh, a, a privilege to learn uh, Beat Me Daddy mm-hmm. and that choreo, that iconic choreo, and just perform it with my own flair, you know, while staying um, honest and true to Bob's work, um, has all been kind of the catalyst to really dive into each track and has allowed me to focus individually on each person much more. And of course, there's a lot of note taking, you know, the numbers. For me, the logistics of everything is like the hardest part because I'm such a broad strokes, big picture guy. So that the finite detail, the, uh, the details of everything, you know, depths and numbers and, and, and the precision of it all is a little tougher for me. And so that's where I know that, uh, my brain can often wander. And so I, I, I need to focus a lot more on those things, but it, uh, it was a lot of observance, a lot of watching and learning. I am a very visual learner. Mm-hmm. And so to consume in that way, and also just, I'm also a very, um, I learn a lot through practice. Uh, and so, a lot of the blocks that I was facing was like, I can't note anymore. I can't write anything else. Like, it's not going to be helpful. And so at any moment I could, I would just get on stage and just embody it, walk through it, because I knew that's where I would retain the most. What's cool about Fosse's work and what's often not said is that embodying the work doesn't mean copying the work. And it doesn't mean doing, it doesn't mean doing it the exact same way that, you know, Jacob Guzman does it that Manny Herrera does it. It doesn't mean be a carbon copy of the person you're going on stage for. And they've been very honest about that with us too. And they're saying, you know, you're going to go on and you're going to have your show and you don't have to be these people. And so to release that uh, anxiety a bit was very, very helpful uh, for my process to then free up uh, the permission to also mess up, the permission to, you know, get it wrong, the permission to miss a step because if I'm focused, if I'm hyper-focused on that, a lot of times it won't come out authentically for me. And it's like, I'm going to tell a story, even if it's like, even if this count was a little off. Um, And I hope no dance captains are listening to this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the reality is, I think if your count is off a little bit, right? Like 
we as audience members probably don't notice those or your knee turns in instead of out or whatever it is. We as audience members don't normally notice that, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, there's a way you can, you get back on count, you turn your knee, whatever you, mm -hmm. you do what you need to do. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because I've heard this with a lot of your company, your fellow company members, this same notion of this level of perfection. And yet it's so nice to hear you say, I need to let that go because what I'm hearing you say is I need to let that go so I can dance better, right? I need to get out of my head so that I can be authentic and dance who dance the way I isn't that I, I meant isn't to that dance. Interesting. I think that's so crazy. Um, and this is all to say, you know, I'm like, I'm not saying I'm over here changing pop boss's well, choreo every show, <laughs> of course, you know. And it's it's so interesting to think that I need to release the the, the, yeah, the perfectionism aspect. And I learned that, you know, I was a swing in Hamilton. I learned that the hard way there too, that if, if I'm trying to fit this standard that I haven't even set for myself, that I feel like people are setting from, for me, it's, it's just the straightest route to unhappiness and unfulfillment. Mm. I think it really liberated me in a lot of ways to understand what was a successful show for me or what is a successful yeah, what's a, success, what's a successful show for me? When the pandemic hit, I was sort of at a loss for what I was going to do. I thought about saying that out loud. And I said, why don't I have anything to do? Why don't I know what to do? I'm an artist. I'm not, yeah, I'm contracted to be in Hamilton right now. But why don't I know what to I was kind of like surprised at myself. I was shocked and I didn't really enjoy that. I didn't know what to do. And I think... It shook me to my core that like my my inherent artist artistic self was in question. To be drawn organically to all these other mediums of art throughout the pandemic was the biggest blessing, and I'm in a privilege. I, I understand the privileged position to be saying that that it was such a blessing for me to begin this journey of self discovery uh, about who. Pedro is individually what two artistic feet I can stand on on my own. And that in itself released a lot of that perfectionism. If my identity is so tied into the work that a step going wrong can derail my day, I think I'm, I, I, may be in a, I may be in a dangerous zone. I think to tell it in an authentic and honest way, I've been saying those words, that's gonna be the, those are going to be like the key words for the podcast, I guess. But <laughs> to tell it in that way, for me, is the most successful show I can give. I hope you always question your art. I hope you always question your um, your approach and your your all of it because I think listening to you talk, that's that that's what makes you a special artist, right? That's a thing that motivates you. That's a thing that's always going to keep it interesting and fresh. If you're always challenging yourself by questioning it, or whatever that experience is, it'll change. Obviously, you know, the more you work, the more this gets comfortable or, you know, you, you mentioned imposter syndrome. I think that's a healthy thing to a certain extent because I think it keeps you motivated and challenged to do better. And I think that's the mark of a true artist is somebody who's always trying to do better and not getting complacent and not getting comfortable. And that's where you're going to find true fulfillment as you continue on this career, which hopefully will be very long, right? Because <laughs> you're, you're, 
and the other thing I'm hearing you say was that this isn't really a career. It's who you are. Yes, it's how you pay your bills. It's how you get the washer and dryer and the apartment, all that we stuff. We love those. We love that. <laughs> we, we were talking about that earlier. But the reality is you're an artist first and foremost. And no matter what you do with your life, that never goes away, right? Your, art, your artistry could end up being something else. Maybe it's not dancing forever, but you're always an artist. Mm -hmm. doesn't right. go away. Yeah. And I think I remember... Um, a lot of people when I was on Hamilton were saying like, okay, so you've, you've done, you did Hamilton. Like, that's it. Retire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, mm -mm, I'm done. I was like, okay, I'm in my, in my twenties, but no, yeah, but yeah, yeah I'm done. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. And then some, I remember even someone within the company, um, was saying, you know, oh, well, it's just going to all go downhill post Hamilton. And I couldn't wrap my mind around that, yeah. to be honest with you. I Please thought, don't. I said, I, I know. Thanks. <laughs> Never do that. I said, uh, no. And I said, even if I were to go and chop wood at a, you know, in the forest, I think that would be, if it's good for my mental health, then I consider it, you know, on the up. Yeah. I say, you know, yeah. an upward movement. If it's movement. fulfilling if and it's, it's interesting and you're feeding your soul, then yeah. why not? You know? Yeah. I said, yeah. despite whether it's, you know, a pay raise or a pay, a pay bump, you know, whatever, whatever yeah. all that, you know, I couldn't care less. I think, um, I'd like to, I'd like to keep following that like artistic and moral compass. Mm. Well, something else that you, um, put in your bio that I was very touched by was that you strive to be a symbol of Latino excellence in both life and your creative work and that you dedicate your performances to all the young dreamers of color. So I'm wondering, I mean, I think that's pretty self-explanatory, um, but if you could <laughs> share a little bit why you wanted to share that in your bio, why you felt it was important to say that, and then also what you would say to other young performers of color who are, you know, trying to make it in this very difficult industry. I would be remiss to not acknowledge and honor the many people who have paved the path before me or have even tried to journey on this path before me and have not reached even this level of success. I'm in debt to them. And I'm just thinking, cause I also got to meet Cheetah Rivera yesterday yeah. and thank her in person oh my gosh. for yeah. just everything she's done. That was an emotional moment for sure. <laughs> to understand and respect this platform that I've, you know, however small it may be, um, this platform that I've, I've, I've come to, I want to continue on this path of honest work that I know can change lives. And I think there are many people who look like me who would do many things to be in the same spot. And I think what I would say to so many people around the young dreamers and all the people that want to be doing something like this or anything creative, I think is to really just embrace everything that you think right now is wrong about you because, and just cradle it and love it in a way that you think is completely, you know, wrong. I think, you know, like treating these things that you find your, that you find so uh, awful or people are telling you that are awful about yourself and just kind of reframing them in your, in their brains and just knowing that they make them so unique, uh, because, what is the most interesting to see is like amongst artists, because everyone's really talented. Everyone is so skilled to see someone who knows themselves and knows their story and knows the messages that they want to be telling. That's invaluable. 
I love that you're so conscious of being a, a model in both your art and your life, because, you know, there's that saying, you can't be what you can't see, you know, and just by your mere presence in this company, right? And everyone who, you know, comes from um, a different, you know, background, whether you're black or Latino or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that is powerful. And just your presence is powerful, let alone the amazing work that you're all doing, which of course speaks for itself. To be doing what I'm doing on a stage is radical. It is a revolution in itself for someone who is queer, for someone who is Mexican, to be doing that on a Broadway stage, it's like a rebellion and, and a movement all in one. Yeah. It's, it's insane. Yeah, I was talking to um, an older dancer who was working in the 70s and 80s about how amazing it is today that you could have an article about the LGBTQ members of the cast of Dancing, right? That would never have happened, maybe not even 10 years ago, right? That there are members in this company, because you get to play yourselves too, which is also a very special thing, right? You're all playing yeah. yourselves on that stage. So that means you're called upon to bring yourselves. And yes, there are, you know, queer members of this company and you're living authentically as queer people on that stage. You're dancing as queer artists. And that's something that certainly there were queer people in the original company of Dancing, but they weren't able to bring their full selves because the society, society wasn't, you know, right. wasn't there. And, you know, thankfully Bob Fosse's work is in many ways queer. And, yes, yes, right. Yeah, and, yes. and, and he gives license for people, you know, you know, in a way that maybe isn't as, um, present, but it's, it's embodied in, in the movement itself. Right. Right. So it's always been there, but now you guys get to, to be who you are yes. publicly, you yes. know, and that's, it's a revolution. Yeah. It's I radical. saw, I saw, um, a comment that sort of rubbed me the wrong way. Actually, it was saying something mm. like, uh, it says, you know, maybe it's, I think it's just, I think it was too woke with the queerness. I think, you know, they had specific notes about, or, you know, about specific sections of the show. Yeah. And they said, sometimes you just want to, it was a really weird comment, honestly. So <laughs> sometimes you just want to see, you know, the sexy, um, female roles danced by females or, you know, like this and that, you know, dance, but yeah, dance by women, you know? And it's like, I, I'm sure people disagree. And it's like, well, what is female choreography? What is male choreography? Yeah. It's, it's divvied up in our show a little bit too, because of tribute to the original, but can you, can't you say a wrist roll and a hip, role are feminine i'm sure i mean i guess but it's not dictated that way within fossey's choreography or his world his vocabulary at all and i think it permits so much emotion and so much authenticity within dancers to you know you see queer male dancers and that get to express in ways that a lot of choreographers especially in these last you know years past have not allowed it's mm. been very you know static and strong and to explore the nuance and humanity of Fosse's work is truly the most exciting part of this process because it feels like I said so human yeah without genderless it's just story on bodies which is how dance should be. Yeah, yeah. I think you said in that in that Queerty article that dance has no gender. Yeah. And of course, of course it has no gender, right? I mean, like, but to have to say that, yeah. you know, because 
you're right because people have such a, a set idea of this is what women do. This is what men do that there are, you know, that it's that binary and yeah. it's that simple and it's that boxed off. Mm-hmm. And one of the joys I imagine of stepping into the world of Fosse is how he didn't necessarily think that way. Certainly right. he was living and working in the society that he was living and working in. And you know, a lot has happened since his death 35 years ago. But can you imagine just creating that type of choreography yeah. in that climate? Yes. And to be that bold and right. that brave in that way. No wonder it stuck out. It, it, it yeah. stood out, right? Yeah. And it's lasted this long for a reason. I think it's, and it's influential. The best type of art is that, and, and dance specifically, is that that breaks free of those molds mm. because it, 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 it just gives you more play space. Do you have a favorite song or moment or step in the show? It doesn't have to be a track you cover. It can be anything you want. Performing, I love to sing Bojangles, but I love, love, love listening to Iwana say that first monologue in the show where she talks about the different instruments. And when she literally says the last three sentences, she says, the structure of life. She talks about all of these deep feelings and emotions and embodiments. And she says, the structure of life. She says, because I love dancers and dancers love to dance. She says it was such inhibition, a release, with the release of inhibition. And she never says it the same way twice. No, no. I've seen the show so many times. Yeah. Every time she says it, it's like she's saying it for the first time. It's so yeah. truthful. I think monologue. she lets that emotion yeah. really take her, take over. And I think she just, wherever she's at that day, she lets those words ring true in some way, whether it be bold, whether it be quiet. And she says it. And it's for me, such a beautiful, like all knowing encompassing and involving the audience breath to kind of enter this world. Despite the fact that we've had two numbers already, but you know, (laughs) what I love about asking this question is that inevitably one of two things or sometimes both things happen you, the, the answer will reference somebody else's work, <laughs> yes, right? Not yeah. their own. And when we ask someone who sings in the show, who has a featured solo moment, they reference that before a dance step, <laughs> a dance step. which I think is so fascinating. <gasps> it's so, it, again, the thing about calling out somebody else's work, I think just proves what we have said over yeah. and over again about what an extraordinary company this is and how supportive you are and how trusting and loving and all of those things, because you're looking at everybody else's work and not your own. I mean, you're obviously, you're looking at your own work. We've talked about that at length, but you're really, what you're really excited about is what everybody else is doing on that stage. And it just, it's, it's, I just, it's very rare. And I'm going to keep saying it as long as we're recording this podcast. And you're a storyteller. You said that yourself at the start, right? That's your impulse. That's your first impulse, right? Is to tell stories, whether it's song, dance, spoken word. Mm -hmm. So I love that you picked a moment that is a spoken moment yeah, in, in think, the show. I think what's tough about like picking a dance step, it's like, <laughs> well, that's part of a, of a, it's like picking, what's your favorite word, word in this, in this sentence, you know, yeah. it's tough. Yeah. I mean, you know, everyone could say the frug hands or oh. snake in the grass hands, you know, and totally. I think those are iconic. And it's so interesting. Cause I wonder if, did, did Fosse ever want you to say like, this step of yours, this one step of yours was so good. He's like, what about the 999,000 other ones. You know, it's so interesting to, because I feel like I'd want someone to come say that this this moved me, not this one. Maybe it was one word, but I feel like it, 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 and most often it's 
the entirety of the of the thing of the entire piece of the of the journey and the whole story so yeah so i think that's why it's often tough for me to to <laughs> boil it down to one favorites are hard and jim always jim always pushes for love favorites yeah. i also feel like and and i you know i didn't know bob Fossey, so I I can't actually honestly answer this, but my guess is if you asked him that question, it would be more about his place in the world. It would be more about his legacy as a choreographer than one specific dance. But I would love to just ask him, like force him, (laughs) pick the frug, pick beat me daddy, pick one, pick one. Oh yeah. But it's unfair. Anyway, um, (laughs) thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. But before we go, you have actually answered this, but I'm going to ask you one more time. What does Bob Fosse mean to you? Ooh. Fosse to me means embracing my humanity in a way. And I'll explain because I think Bob, again, never met the guy. Bob took his, what he felt were his faults and insecurities and not only played on those, but centered his work on them. He dove so deeply into areas of his life that he felt the least secure about. And I was watching Moon Age Daydream, which was that David Bowie um, documentary. Uh, It was that artistic documentary that came out. And Bowie said... When you get to that deep end and you feel your feet and you can't touch the ground, you just can't touch the ground anymore. Like that's where life really is. That's where you really start to live. And I think Fosse really lived and always strived to exist there. And as an artist, that is very inspirational to me. And I would love to emulate that bravery in many senses. Because I think a lot of people are playing it safe nowadays. And for me, it's proven in the past time and time again that safety is not the best grounds for... I I think for me, safety and um, happiness don't always equate. I think I I produce a lot more um, fulfilling our art and find a lot more happiness by navigating into those areas of unfamiliarity and uncomfortability. And I think Bob was a real champion of that in his own way without even kind of knowing. So that's a long winded version of what that means to me. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Bob Fosse's Dancing is now on Broadway at the Music Box Theater. For tickets and more information, visit dancinbway.com. Dancing Man, a Fabulous Invalid podcast, is a production of O&M Etc. and the Fabulous Invalid LLC, and a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. Special thanks to Civilian for hosting us, and to our audio engineer, Kyle Moore. If you liked this episode, we've got over 100 episodes of the Fabulous Invalid podcast that you can check out, including a two-parter on the life, work, and legacy of Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon. You can find us online at thefabulousinvalid.com and on social media at Fabulous Invalid 
and on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.